Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of this unbelievable life. I have my longtime and dear friend Ashley McReynolds here today. And she's gonna be coming back actually to talk on a few topics, but for today we are going to tackle her foster and adoption journey. I know a lot of my friends um, are going through this and I just wanted to hear her story um, and, and how she has gotten from one end to the other to have this beautiful family that she has. And, and I know that I know, I know for a fact that it is not an easy journey for a lot of families. And for those of us that have never been through it, um, it can seem very foreign and we have no idea what's going on in your world. And um, I just wanted to turn this over and have Ashley tell us a little bit more about her story today. Thanks, Nikki. Um, so I wouldn't say that I'm at the end of this journey by any means. Um, our kids still continue to deal with trauma and um, it's something that they're going to be dealing with the rest of their lives. So um, even though we're done fostering, um, we think um, it doesn't mean that we're done. Um, my husband and I, I actually worked for the Department of Child Services for five years out of, uh, not long out of college. Um, and I had a majority of teens on my caseload and I really adored, um, the families that I worked with, the foster families. And at the same time, my husband and I were experiencing infertility issues. Um, we had tried and it just wasn't working, um, and so we ended up um, seeing a fertility specialist um, who basically said that it was me. I um, was the one who was um, not ovulating and I was the one who was the cause of it. Um, and so we tried a few rounds of IUI, which is where um, you take the medicine as as the woman and then um, the man's sperm is injected that way. Um, never worked. <laughs> um, I got cysts on my ovaries. I responded too well to the medication. Um, it just didn't work. And so we decided to seek a second opinion out of town. Um, a good friend of ours and um, someone who was just on the last podcast, Holly, uh, recommended a specialist in um, St. Louis. So we went to St. Louis and um, in St. Louis, they told me that, or they told us that actually um, my husband also had a, a fertility issue. And truthfully, most of the fertility issues are both parties. So we go into our society and we believe that women are at fault for not getting pregnant. And a lot of times it's both spouses. Um, so that's why it's so important to have both spouses tested, not just one, um, and um, figure out what's going on. So I was lucky enough to, at the time, be volunteering with um, an organization called Chance to Hope. Um, here in Evansville. And um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure that they're still around. I apologize. I don't volunteer with them any longer. They were putting on a conference here locally um, for families that um, were experiencing infertility. And I was running the, elect the electronics, the computer systems for the um, people who were presenting that day. And I met a wonderful man named Dr. Alper, um, he was apparently at a conference with Chris Ryan, the CEO for Women's Hospital, 
and they chatted about how desperately needed um, a fertility specialist and all the things that came along with it were needed here in the Evansville area. So from Boston, Boston IVF and Dr. Alper opened this wonderful um, office in uh, Deaconess Women's Hospital. And he helped us through several other things, helped my husband get additional testing. Um, we tried once again um, and it just wasn't working. And at that point we were financially pretty much tapped out. Um, one of the wonderful things that Boston, Massachusetts has, but Indiana does not, is they have fertility insurance. So you can actually try IVF multiple times and the insurance in Massachusetts will cover it. There are only a handful of states, and I actually believe Illinois is one of them as well, that, um, that have this as part of their mandatory coverage for health insurance. Indiana is not one of those. Um, so for Boston IVF, it was a new experience. I was one of their first patients and they um, were still working out their billing and, <laughs> and things like that because they weren't used to having to go through the financial aspect because a lot of times their um, clients were able to do that. So the last appointment that I had with Dr. Alper actually was um, the day that baby Palooza was going to happen the next day. And I was there with an organization that I worked for at the time, and we were supposed to have a booth at Baby Palooza. And he told me basically that, um, or I told him that it was the end of our journey with the fertility. And I sat in the parking lot and just cried. Um, I was supposed to be at Baby Palooza the next day with outreach. Um, I was, I'm very thankful to a coworker of mine who, um, did it instead because I would have been a wreck. Um, and at that time I was still working for the Department of Child Services and we decided to get our foster license. <laughs> um, we had met a lot of wonderful foster parents and we knew there were a lot of wonderful children out there that were waiting to be adopted in the United States. And we decided that was the route that we were gonna explore. We got our license through a place that's located in Evansville, it's in Indiana. Um, it's across the state of Indiana, but it's called the Villages, um, and uh, they have amazing staff there. Um, and we were, it took about a year for us to get licensed to take the courses. Um, we had to do our home studies. Um, what benefited us was that I was a DCS worker. A lot of the things that they said that we had to do I was already qualified in, so I just got some extra training. Um, we decided initially that we were going to be foster to adopt only, which is something you can decide. You can decide if you want to foster or if you want to only adopt. So we decided to foster to adopt. Now, the foster system is set up where the children that enter your home, they are going to try everything they can to get those children home, as they should. But um, the children that we interviewed for and the children that we were going to bring into our home were children that had already had their parental rights terminated. So we knew that they were going to be up for adoption. Um, we joined this kind of network throughout the state who gets child summaries. They come into your inbox. This is not the way it works anymore, by the way. There's a website for it. <laughs> but they come into your inbox. It's normally a picture of the child and a couple pages about the kiddo. 
what their background is, what they like, what they don't like, what are some expected things that could happen in the future, what are some health things that they could experience, and you decide if you want to interview for this child. So you go, you submit your your application. There could be 30 families that apply for this one child, and you're hoping to get one of three slots to go and interview for this child. Now, I know this is still how they do it. You get called and told that you're going to go interview for this child. We interviewed four children in Jasper, Terre Haute, and in Evansville. Um, the Terre Haute one and the Evansville one, we were certain that child was not going to come into our home just because of some, uh, one was a known foster family that we were with, and the other, it was very apparent that that child's best fit was another family, not ours. Um, you go into the interview room and you interview with all the other families. You get the same information that those families are getting. Uh, you ask your questions and then you leave and then you get called back one by one to interview for the child. Um, our daughter, we interviewed for her when she was seven years old. She's 15 now. Um, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> um, Come to find out, her uh, mother was also pregnant with a second child at the time. We were chosen for her, um, but her uh, her brother was got, had gone through an adoption agency. Um, and so at the time when we were meeting our daughter, um, her half-brother was also being born, which we did not know. The family that privately adopted him, lives in New York, and they were actually here while we were meeting Lily, we did not know, meeting the brother. Had we known, gosh, we would have loved to get together with them, but we didn't. Um, uh, my daughter's mother, thankfully, several months later, gave us their information. Um, one of them has a very unique name, and it was very easy to find him because he um, he's a professional woodworker by trade, but he writes. So he writes for a woodworking blog and several magazines, and he's got a book. So it was easy to find him. They're wonderful people, and we adore them. Um, we were able to go out and see them several years ago. They have family that lives near here, and so whenever they come into town, we go see them. Um, and so we are able to maintain the relationship between our child and her brother, um, which is wonderful. Um, at the time that we got our daughter, her mother was in prison. There was a lot of stuff that went on with that. Um, at the time, the Department of Child Services wasn't protecting our daughter like we thought that she needed to be. Um, and we hired our own attorney to take on our side of it. Um, and it took about an extra year to adopt her um, with the caveat that her mother could write several times a year and her mother was able to have some communication um, with her. Um, but that was our daughter's choice if she wanted to have that communication or not. Um, we then shut our house down to fostering after we adopted her for about a year, year and a half. We were on vacation in New York City and got a phone call and said, hey, we have this newborn. 
do you want him? Well, I'm not going to turn. I mean, come on. Um, and he, we were leaving the next day anyway. He was in the NICU at Deaconess again. Um, and he was born with a meth addiction. His mother had been using for some time and, um, and, and he was addicted when he was born. Um, another family went and got him from the hospital. We drove all day, one day to get home. And at 7.30 the next morning, <laughs> went and picked him up. <laughs> um, he pretty much lived on my chest for the six months that he was with us. We were definitely told from the get-go that this mother had lost five other children um, to the department and that he was going to be available for adoption. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have taken him because we didn't want to build that bond or destroy that family relationship. Come to find out, that was not this mom's story at all. <laughs> Um, she hadn't lost all five of those prior children and she had a history with her own mother. So I'm not exactly sure how you learn to mother if you haven't had a stellar example. Um, what happened was, is we became advocates for his mom. Um, she worked so hard to get her life together, to become sober. And she deserved every chance to raise that child. Um, and here we are six years later. Um, we're friends with her. We go to his birthday parties. Um, we FaceTime with him. He comes and spends weekends with us. Um, you know, she's been sober for six years. And of those children, she has a majority of them back in her custody. And she's married a wonderful man and she has a good job. And we're just so incredibly proud of her. Um yeah, that is not the norm um, for foster families and their kiddos. Um, we love him so much, and we love her. Um, sorry. But I still miss him every day. Um, he's my baby. He was my first baby. Um, he's my baby. Um, he came to work with me every day because we didn't have daycare for the first couple of months. Um, he very much, there are pictures of me from work back then, because I do the social media and a lot of the other things, of me holding a camera and me FaceTiming live. And there's, you can see an X on my back from the boba wrap. And he's literally tucked in my chest and I've just given him a bottle so he'll be quiet during a press conference. <laughs> um, so he grew up with, I mean, those six months he was there. When we first got our daughter, she was at that nonprofit too. Those coworkers celebrated with me, um, just like my family did. Um, so he went home and we were like, we're not going to do this again. Like, we can't. We can't do this. We shut his room. We didn't go in it, I bet, for a good eight months because we were just broken um meanwhile mama's doing everything she can to make sure that we're still in his life um but every time I take him home I cry because I just I miss him um then we got our third foster child we knew we were probably just gonna foster him let me preface that <laughs> um he had significant mental health and developmental issues. We didn't know that. 
we didn't know we weren't told by the department um he was put in our custody we were a special needs foster home so he was put in our custody two hours from his home not just 10 minutes not 20 minutes two hours from his home he was taken from his entire family, his entire support system, his school that he felt safe in. There just weren't any foster homes available in that part of the state, and we were open and available. Um, we fought so hard for him. He needed so much help. The school fought so hard for him, tried to keep him in their school. And then we went to a meeting one day about his IEP and found out that his outbursts and the things that he was doing were causing the other children to lose a full day of instruction every day or every week. So uh, five days a week, they're supposed to be in kinder or first grade and get instruction. They were losing a full day because of our child um, and his anxieties and his learning issues. So um, we were able to move him to another school and he did phenomenal there for the time that he was with us. Um, but his outbursts, which could last for hours, were growing more and more physical. Um, the judge in the county that he was in did not believe us, nor did he wanna hear from us as foster parents, um, that he was becoming a threat um, he was institutionalized for a short time. We were told that if he became a threat, we just were supposed to call 911. How do you do that to a seven, almost eight-year-old child? Um, he tried to run me off the road while I was driving a few times. Um, they just didn't listen to me, and they continued his visitation. Most of the time, his mom didn't show up. His dad was in prison, so he never showed up. Um, we did our best to fight for this mom too, but, um, she's still not in a good place and it's been three years. Um, I can still see her on the internet, so I know what's going on. Towards the end of him being with us, we found out that he had a biological aunt that apparently was actually the reporting source for the initial report that came in on him. And he... She was never considered as a placement for him. She always should have been considered as a placement for him. She loved him dearly. So at the same time, our son was being born. <laughs> um, he's also an adopted child. Um, and we knew we were going to have to transition this eight-year-old out of our care because it just wasn't working. Lily was, our daughter was starting to have panic attacks because of his outbursts and things like that. Um, so he moved in with his aunt and he's still living with his aunt to this day. And my understanding is he's doing great because he went back to his family. He went back to that structure that he knew. He went back to the school that he knew. We, he moved home. Um, or to his family, I should say. And then at the same time, my cousin shows up on my grandpa's doorstep, nine months pregnant. And I did not know this. And my mother calls and says, hey, DCS is coming to my house. And I'm like, why is DCS coming to your house? 
So come to find out, um, he was going to be removed at birth from my cousin because of drug use. And we were transitioning this boy, the seven, eight year old out of our home. And um, it was a fight between my husband and I because he did not want to take another baby and get attached. Um, but we took him. After three or four months with my mom, he came to live with us. We adopted him and he's three and a half now. And he's a spitfire. Um, I see a little bit of his mom every day in him. She does not come from a great background herself. Um, and I understand why she came here. She lives quite a distance away and nobody had seen her for a while when she showed up. Um, I'm grateful that he gets to stay in our family because it, like I said, he is, a, he looks just like the rest of them. Um, and I'm glad that her family is still able to be part of him. Um, so that's where we are now. We stopped fostering uh, our last one we adopted. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm not still involved uh, or that my husband's still not involved. We, I have, I served on the board for the Borrowed Hearts Foundation, which serves families all over the area who are, um, when foster children come into their home, um, they are able to get things they need like formula and clothing and other things like that. And then I have also volunteered for Isaiah 1 and 17 house, um, which is very much a need uh, because it was taking so long to find foster homes. The workers and children um, in the area were actually sleeping in the offices where, I mean, nobody needs to sleep in a DCS office. So they're able to go to this house anytime, day or night, and volunteers will cook them a meal, get them clean clothes, get them bags of things that they need, um, whatever they need, these these vo wonderful volunteers at Isaiah 17, 117 House take care of and these houses are popping up all over the country now they started in tennessee and it, it they even have offices in them for the dcs workers to work to, while they're trying to find placement for these children or work out whatever's happening um my favorite is to go snuggle the babies that come in <laughs> but um it's it's wonderful the kids can get a bath there if they need new shoes these volunteers will go shopping for them like there's a lot of teens that come through and they need like these special those teen boys have some big feet <laughs> um, and they have some wonderful partnerships with local community organizations that help them find those things. And so kids are my passion. They'll continue being my passion. Um, even if they're not um, my oldest, sorry, I've gone back now, but my oldest, she's 15. Um, she just started visiting with her mom. Her mom uh, was released from prison. She's sober. She's got a great job. She's doing very well. Um, we'd, we'd be in trouble if we didn't let her see her. Um, so they are visiting. Um, I don't quite think that they've tackled the hard things, though. And we've talked about this, my daughter and I. My daughter saw a lot of things. Um a lot of things that grown adults haven't. And she says she doesn't remember, but I know she does. And it triggers a lot of her depression and anxiety um, that have led to suicide attempts and her also being institutionalized for a little while so that we could help her 
become stabilized and process some trauma. Um, she's in a better place now, but even though she thinks I don't worry about her or that I'm bothered that she's visiting with her mom, I'm not. I'm worried. I think like most teen mom, moms to teens are. I think that because of COVID and other things that a lot of our teenagers are experiencing suicidal thoughts, depression and anxiety. Um, and we don't talk about it enough. When I found out that my, um, the first time my daughter was um, taken in, I found out that a lot of my friend's children had also been there. Um, I didn't know that. I thought we were alone and that this was just a thing that um, my kid was going through, but it's not. Um, we're grateful that her high school has some wonderful resources and they've been working with us. Her middle school did not. Um, she was a very competitive athlete until the seventh grade. She tore her meniscus and her ACL and had to have surgery, which was in the middle of COVID. She, the thing that she lived for, she could no longer do. And she lost her self-identity and that triggered the depression and anxiety. And the school very much was not supportive, the middle school. In fact, they did things that made it worse. Um, had it not been for one school counselor, I probably would have lost it on them a lot more um, than I did. The middle school, the high school is much, much better that she's at now. Um, but the trauma that she saw from, from before being adopted is something that she's always going to deal with. It's never going to go away. You're never going to forget that you saw your parent in that situation or that you were dealt with in a certain manner. Um, it's just not going to go away, whether the teenager says they are, it is or not. So I expect that it's going to be a lifelong battle. We have a toddler, and just because we adopted him at birth doesn't mean that he doesn't have childhood trauma. He was taken from his mom, who he grew inside of for nine months, and put with essentially a stranger, even though it's my mother. And then a couple months later, given to me and my husband, who, by the way, my husband is the best thing ever. And uh, the man who wasn't quite sure that he wanted another baby, they are buddies and pals and besties, as my three-year-old says. Um, and everybody else in his life pales in comparison. <laughs> so you can build a family through fostering and adoption. Is it a rough road? Absolutely. Do I have friends that I talk to on a daily basis and do a lot of times I sound like the devil's advocate? Yes. Um, but I want to be absolutely truthful with them about what's in that road, what it might look like, and not to hang their hopes on everything that they're told and to also do their research. Um, like I said, we had the villages. They're a phenomenal resource. Um, they have phenomenal workers. Our 
worker for some time was a, a nun and she was the coolest nun that I've ever met in my entire life and we adored her um, she's very blunt and to the point but she has now gone on to work for um, the sisters recruiting uh, which is a loss I feel like but nonetheless the villages was wonderful there are multiple resources in the area that will get you licensed and it doesn't take as long as it used to like it did with us um and there's such a need for foster homes if you realistically know that the goal is for those children to go back to their homes the homes that they grew up in the family that they've bonded with their families may be poor they may have a hole in their floor and their water's not running but there's resources to fix that the kids may have seen something but the department's trying to help them and give the resources to the families you never know when there's a situation with domestic violence or sexual abuse not only for the kids but for the for the families for the moms for the grandmas and it's really a cycle um you just don't know and so you want to get in there and try to help first before you just assume that they need their children taken away for the rest of their lives. So don't just assume that what you saw at first is the real story. Lily didn't tell us lots of things until we were driving in a car late one night and it was dark and she didn't have to look us in the face. And she started telling us things. She had been with us for over a year at that point and we still didn't know those things and we're still not going to know all of them. Um, I don't encourage everybody to foster. I do encourage if you're going to adopt, do it from the United States. Um, that's my own personal bias. I know there are other countries around the world that have children that are in need too, but gosh, the United States has a lot of kids. The last statistic I saw was it could fill up a Super Bowl stadium at least three times. Um, every kid that comes out of the foster system or adopted is not a bad kid. It's just the circumstances they were in. There are wonderful children. There's a wonderful website called adoptuskids.org. It will show you pictures of the children all across the country that are in need of families. And you'll get addicted and you'll find one that you cry and sob and you love. And now you're like, oh, I have to go adopt them. And I'm not joking. I mean, that's not from my point of view, but the Nikki, have you seen the, I can't remember the movie. It's with Mark Wahlberg. It's about adoption. I can't remember the name of it, but it's so true. <laughs> you can watch that movie with Mark Wahlberg and think, oh, those things are silly. That would never happen. Oh, yes, they do. They happen. Those things happen. Um, but I also encourage other people who aren't foster parents or aren't adoptive parents, if you know someone, please don't judge them. You might see them leaving a family gathering early or you may see them and you think their parenting method is flawed there's probably something behind that um my kids have to have things very structured they need to know where we're going next or what's going on um our foster son that we had when he was eight you he needed to know every minute what we were doing um if you think about it take him a meal <laughs> 
they may be running five different ways. Not only are you a foster parent, but you go to the court hearings, you take them to the therapy appointments. You know, everything that you have to do, you have the meetings with the school, you have the meetings with the parents. There's so many things they need help on. Also, foster parents aren't out there to get rich. There's nothing that is going to make you rich about being a foster parent. It doesn't happen. They're not in it to make the money. Um, a lot of things that fosters do, you pay for out of your own pocket. Um, the state of Indiana, or they didn't, they do now, but when we were fostering, didn't have help for daycare for foster parents. We paid for it out of our own pocket. We didn't, we didn't expect to have a newborn. We just got a phone call for it. Um, and then, oh, you have all this that you have to pay for daycare, but they didn't have assistance at the time. Um, so just give a foster of adopt or an adoptive parent a little bit of leeway because we are parenting differently and things look different. Um, our kids are just as wonderful. They just have a few more struggles. So anyway, I love my kiddos and I'm always going to love them no matter from their bio or their adoptive. It's all the same to me. So yeah. Thank you so, so much for sharing your wonderful story with us. I think that it paints a very realistic picture for those of us that have not walked in your shoes. And I thank you for that. Um, your children are absolutely wonderful. And I'm so Thanks. glad that you are their mom. And um, just really briefly, again, if anybody is interested in adoption, what is one or two best resources? Well, first and foremost, the Department of Child Services has a great website. They have a great website about the things that you need to foster, what that looks like, what the application looks like, what the classes look like. But there are many other organizations. I know locally we have several that license foster parents. The Villages I mentioned is one. Deborah Korn is another. They both have intro classes. So you can go to an intro class online or in person and you can ask all those questions that you might want to know before even engaging in the process. So I really recommend if you're thinking about it, just go in and do that. Or if you're thinking about, hey, I can't do that, but I'd love to volunteer, Broad Hearts and Isaiah 117 House are wonderful programs to get involved with. That's a way that you can help foster adoptive DCS or children in general um, get the best start they can on their new journey um, without actually fostering or adopting. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on this episode of this unbelievable life. I find you absolutely incredible. And I'm so blessed to have you as my friend. And if anybody has any questions or um, wants more information from me or Ashley, please feel free to reach out. We are so grateful to our listeners and, and hopefully they can help spread the word too. Ashley, thank you so much. And we hope, that everyone has, we hope that everyone has a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks so much.